0: You said like you wanted to dive into Japan. I thought we were like planning a trip to Tokyo and I got to like go skiing oh. and see some gardens <laughs> or something. And then you talked about like boring World War companies II. owning shares <laughs> and other companies and some history left.
1: This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doodles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing.
0: What's up, man? Well, you're not allowed to travel to new locations. I got jelly beans. (laughs) Speaking of
1: jelly beans, you ready for this? Yeah. So to give you a little quiz, I'm in the state, and I didn't fact check this, but I'm in the state... The only state that has had two governors that were actors.
0: I mean, that's gotta be California, right? Yeah, it wasn't really that hard of a quiz, but <laughs> that was kind of weak. Which but let me let me tie it back to the jelly beans.
1: Which of these governors loved him some jelly beans? Uh
0: let's go Reagan. Yeah, all right. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best you got, man. Wow! I'm sorry, sorry. How you doing? Good. Uh, how about you? This is a uh, this is like a, a pure fishbowl day. I think today just a medley. Oh, and we're bringing in a new game that's sweeping the nation. Get ready. S- speaking of
1: new game, but not at all is I'm gonna have a non-quiz quiz for you to kick off what I think will probably be the first topic. Okay. What's your favorite color?
0: Orange. Nope. Teal. <laughs> oh Peter yeah Peter my favorite color is actually Peter yeah my favorite color is Peter teal <laughs> so what did we learn this week all right well so this is a article you you ever read these articles that you're like I have to have someone else read this to make sure that I'm actually comprehending this right so mm-hmm. I'm so excited to talk to you because I want to make sure that my understanding here is right so typically anything related to tax stuff, we talked about ProPublica last week and Buffett's tax return and everyone else. And uh, I go, who cares? Like, these are smart people. The tax code is what it is. If they're not breaking the law, deal with it. Fig- make the tax code better, right? This article this week actually gave me some pause on that stance. What did you, th- what did you think of Peter Thiel's IRA, Dougals? I can't remember when this was, but it was a few weeks ago.
1: We talked about like just very, very briefly mentioned um, Mitt Romney's IRA and how he'd been able to make a bunch of money on it, but just kind of brush past it. But then this article like goes into more detail about Peter Thiel's Um, and before we go into some of the detail, let me, let me just drop this tiny little phrase quote as to why the Roth IRA was started by Senator Roth, you know, back what 25 years ago, it was started for hardworking middle-class Americans to be able to save in their retirement. When I think hardworking middle-class, I think Peter Thiel.
0: Well, hey, at one point he was probably middle-class. I mean, pre-PayPal. Uh, Maybe. Who knows? I actually don't even uh, know that. Yeah, I, I don't know what sort of means he came from. So history lesson, and Dougal's, I know you'll help me with this, but Peter Thiel founded PayPal. Um, he wrote Zero to One, pretty solid book, right? After PayPal and the money that comes with PayPal, you would know this much better than me. He's been a dominant figure in Silicon Valley and he has a bunch of other investments. He's crazy, crazy wealthy, right? Is that a, a fair way for the listeners who don't know about him? Is that a decent background? Yeah, I'll, I'll drop
1: a couple more in there. Just he's an early investor in some of like hot Silicon Valley startups, like uh, like Facebook is, his, is a big one and um, co-founder investor in Palantir.
0: Yep, he, uh, so he has an IRA. Roth IRA, Uh, a Roth IRA basically is post-tax money. So when you take the money out of a Roth IRA, you will not pay a tax penalty on it, right? His Roth IRA appears to be worth $5 billion. When I read that, I was like, wow, you know, there's a $6,000 cap effectively on putting money into a Roth IRA. Like how do you even get to $5 billion? what he did and maybe this is him maybe he has brilliant tax advisors maybe there's other things going on that aren't crystal clear in the article he'd put i think he ended up putting 1700 bucks in the ira and then he purchased shares for like pennies of a company That very few people had access to purchase. It's basically like pre-public. And here's where I want you to correct me if my misunderstanding is wrong. Is that, is that how you understood the article? That's what I read, which was surprising. I thought he would have done this in a different way,
1: but that's what, that's what I
0: understood. So just for the listeners to try and hammer home the point, he buys something that's true value might be a hundred bucks a share in the very near future, but he's able to buy it for pennies per share as because it's it's basically like not a and I don't understand the logistics of this, but it's not really a fully public equity yet. But somehow he's able to use IRA money to purchase it.
1: This categorically, I think, is a similar thing to what um, our good friend Mitt Romney um, did, is that there are there are some IRA, either accounts or custodians that allow you to um, buy into non traditional assets. So, like most iras your standard i don't know charles schwab wherever fidelity wherever you're getting your ira you buy stocks you buy whatever is available there but then some iras you can buy you can just buy other things i don't know how they they make that happen and so Mm -hmm. i think this is a case where he's buying options effectively in in a startup or or early shares right in a startup rsu something like that
0: yeah right so and and i don't want to bore people with the logistics of it all because the the key point is He has access to some sort of investment that the large majority, like more than 99.9% of people would not be able to buy for that price at that time. He knows that it's very likely that that investment is significantly mispriced at that time, partly because it's not like publicly tradable. And so he might invest $1,700 in something that in the very near term might be worth $50 million, right? And because he does that upfront with this interesting accounting strategy, I'll call it, he turns that $1,700 into $50 million really quickly. And then he might sell that, that equity, but then he has $50 million tax-free that he can invest in the next thing. And then all of a sudden he has $5 billion. And when he decides to draw on that $5 million, now he has to be more than 59 and a half years old and, and he has to meet all the qualifications, but He's gonna pay zero taxes on that. So, if he would have done it in a more traditional way, he might still have five billion dollars, but he would be expected to pay taxes on that five billion dollars when he sells those equities. It's very interesting. I'm not necessarily a hater of this. I just had never really known that it was done at this scale. It's huge because I think
1: Mitt Romney's is. I mean, it's a couple hundred million or something like that. I mean, it's still big. Yeah. Um. And but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy The 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 other I don't, loophole, I'll just kind of call it and I think I think it actually is a loophole that I'll throw in um, here is that the, the article mentions is the ability to convert a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA, um, but you pay one time taxes on that yeah. at that time. Uh, and then you can let it whatever it is grow um, tax free from then on. It's so it's it's a uh, there, there's got to be some kind of a Well, maybe not got to the the more progressive side of me says uh, a cap would be interesting like on something like this because to what we've talked about before when we discuss like inequity and inequality just taxes can be used for in a mixed economy like we have i think for good now some people might say you know, I don't like big government. I don't want the government involved, you know, this kind of stuff. And I think that's a fair argument. But it just seems it seems strange that once you start to get the five billion that you need to try and play this game. I, I think that's kind of my my point. It's different than as you were mentioning last week, when we we're talking about um, Buffett, etc. I think it's different if you say, look, this is the tax law and I'm just doing my normal everyday thing. And mm-hmm. if the tax law doesn't make me pay, I'm not going to pay. Then if you say, let me figure out how I can transfer money between different accounts or buy it in this account, that's tax shielded to make billions and not, yeah, but that, that is Teal's thing. I mean, from a political standpoint, like Teal is like, I, if I can never pay a dime in tax, I'm not going to pay a dime in tax. Like that's his, his thing. And so if the game allows it.
0: There's different levels of loophole. This is a, a pretty complex scheme to avoid paying taxes on a large sum of money. It almost feels manufactured in a way that you shouldn't be able to turn seventeen hundred bucks into millions of dollars in a very short period of time unless there's clear mispricings that you and kind of only you are aware of. It feels a little slimy that way i don't I don't want a tax i mean. And I don't know, you know, if one person or a hundred people find a loophole, does it mean it needs to be fixed? I don't know that I like think there needs to be reform tomorrow. I just found this fascinating. Like I didn't even realize this was possible. And so part of me wants to just stand up and, and clap and applaud the genius that he just dodged, you know, say he paid 20% tax on 5 billion bucks. He just saved himself a billion dollars and. I think theoretically he did it in a way that's legal.
1: Yeah. I I I don't know. We we don't have to get into the you know the the politics side of this. It just it just seems like one of those things where you just like cap it. Because it wasn't meant for this, like the spirit of what it's for, like no one's gonna get five billion dollars, which is why we'd never think about capping it. Like because it wasn't it wasn't meant to get to that point. But what is the no, what's the just... max benefit in someone's lifetime?
0: an ira like yeah i mean so they said hey max you can put it as six thousand dollars a year like they they said (laughs) based on the world's best investing track record ever like no one gets to more than i don't know what it is let's just say a million million. bucks and he he's at five billion (laughs) dollars so i guess i get your point there like it's not uh if this is a retirement vehicle for the middle class and you said, "Oh, you start to pay taxes on more than a billion dollars." The only person in the world that um, impacts is Peter Theo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's just <laughs> it's it's just made for you. Like just to be yeah, clear, like, <laughs> which would kind of be hilarious. I'm sure that would really fire him up. And then you know, his. I wonder what his current net worth is, but it's billions and billions, right? Um, yeah.
1: I mean, he was the initial big check into Facebook with $500,000. So, hes I don't know what he sold. He's doing all He's doing pretty well there. And we could look it up, probably. But, all right. Fishbowl topic. You want to dive in?
0: Uh, I do. No, actually, I want to go straight, just because I'm so excited about it, to the uh, game that's sweeping the nation. It is called Rational Irrational. And it means... You have to make a determination of these five things i are going to throw your way as to if this is rational or irrational. Pretty simple, right, Diggles? I think so, but you're probably going to throw some curveballs. All right. Rapid fire, here we go. First, crypto this week, down as much as 25%, rational or ir- irrational? Rational. That infrastructure bill. Is any, is any political uh, uh, dealings uh, oh. <laughs> answer a 48 inch vertical leap at the NBA combine good God irrational (laughs) people this is in economics terms people's behavior in non-bubble times irrational oh my goodness what about people's behavior in bubble times
1: irrational I think people's behavior is irrational
0: (laughs) all right let's dive in so first the most fun is a forty-eight inch vertical leap. Some dude named Keon Johnson from the University of Tennessee set a NBA combine record, which is basically the world's greatest athletes made for jumping. Forty-eight inch vertical leap. I mean, you're talking. We well, you talked about people like Vince Carter, Michael Jordan, like all these incredible Dominic Wilkins. I mean, you're typically talking like low thirties. Sometimes it might be thirty-six. Sometimes. If you're a real freak athlete, you might be pushing 48 or it's crazy. 40. I've never heard of anything near 48. This is insane.
1: No, if you if you gave me a 48 inch ladder and said climb it, there isn't a hundred percent chance that I make it to the top.
0: <laughs> there's there's like a 92% chance. It's you make
1: 92%. It to the top. <laughs> 92%. So jumping <laughs> to the top, that's insane. It it makes me think it's like a almost as freakish as you watch that 30 for 30 with Bo Jackson when he jumps out of the pool.
0: No, I need to check that one oh, out. Oh, you
1: got to check that out. He just he like leaps out of a pool, so water, right? Cuz that's how pools work. Um <laughs> onto the side. It it's it's insane. They're just some athletes, but that's why he broke himself.
0: Bojack. Well, but it's like so even your point like jumping over i was doing box jumps yesterday i they might have been like a 30 inch box like to get your feet up that high does not mean you necessarily have that vertical you can do a lot of it, that with just you, like you bend. contracting your legs right exactly so people might be able to jump over a ladder but i'm talking like his arm fully extended went 48 inches higher than it was on the ground it's it's outrageous it should All right. be allowed the reason i ask about crypto is because the thing that I just, I just chuckled all week. I really enjoyed the crypto crash. I know we're not going to spend time on it, but um, when, when things fall off a cliff and like it goes down 10% in a day, I, I always ask people like, so is this a fair price or was yesterday's price a fair price? And um, you know yeah. what 90% of those people say? They say, I have no idea because it's not an asset that generates cla- cash flows. And I just like to chuckle about that. With crypto specifically? Are you just trying to get with crypto specifically? Okay. Like if United Airlines got cut in half and I said, Dougal, is this like a fair price now? You could at least be able to do some analysis, some fundamental analysis that says, well, based on the profits they've generated over the past 10 years, I think we're in the ballpark affair or I think it's overpriced with most cryptos. It's just like, I don't know. It was 40 K last week. So now it's 30 K. What does that mean? do you think it's fair okay when you
1: take and you you separate it out a bit like some cryptocurrencies like dogecoin which is started as a meme as a joke you know to pay jamaican bobsledders or whatever (laughs) and now has you know has become whatever it is now but then you separate out those from the ether or bitcoin you know side of things potentially not that necessarily you can value either but but there probably is a separation yeah if you make that separation do you think it's rational or irrational what i'm about to say do you do you think if we look at bitcoin to say the value is based on probabilities of it becoming a mainstream currency and like if if it does that then it's probably worth what x and if it doesn't do that then it's probably worth zero and like effectively it's just whatever the probability between those two things is and so when you have something
0: someone like china that cracks down then you go oof well i don't know yeah i know i think that's actually a rational thought i just think that's a really tough problem to solve um but i am loving people that attempt to solve it or for ether because ether is like the main system that allows you to buy nfts or do a lot of like the crypto transaction and the crypto businesses that are built on top of things are built on top of ether theoretically you can build some models that say this is how that impacts the supply and demand equation there and therefore you can estimate a price what i was kind of joking about is uh 95 or more of those so-called investors aren't doing that Analysis. Oh, yeah. And so, <laughs> so, you or know, any analysis is the fair price of Bitcoin 10K, uh, $10 or 60K? And they go, Well, I don't know. It's 60K like two months ago. So I like that. That seems good. And that, that
1: point is, is what I love generally about the phrase buy the dip, whether it's about crypto or otherwise. No matter yeah.
0: what the dip is, <laughs> no, that if you follow the the crypto social media diamond hands hold whatever it's like there's no like guys this is the true value of this asset is this because of xyz so it just dropped below that so you gotta buy it it's just like no i bought some at a price that's higher than today so if i it's in my best interest to yell from the rooftops buy some because otherwise i'm losing money like that's what's happening here yeah a couple of days ago i
1: i don't think this analysis would be possible at least not with any capabilities i have but a couple of days ago i was reading some headline about jim cramer yelling probably literally yelling yeah. about you know buy the dip on whatever five these five stocks and i was just really curious if there was some way that you could look at um, any time that a pundit says buy and then look at the the performance over the next year like i'd just be curious as to what what
0: that that breakdown uh, would be. it's probably random ramp for me uh, you want me to show off my 48 inch vertical they they've done this frequently with jim kramer jim Kramer's stop stock picks underperform it's well documented if you follow i gotta read up on that this. mad money yeah i'll send you an article or two and And i'm not hating on jim Kramer. like he's a smart guy it's just what happens when you have to talk that much and what might be happening to us doodles when we have to talk as much as we do on the pod is you unfortunately say some stupid stuff and he has to fill content every week and yeah it's well documented that his stock picks do not they underperform uh what
1: what percent of the of the s p 500 has he suggested you buy
0: pretty much like 112 percent i mean it's just (laughs) which ceo is willing to come on his show that night because that's how he's going to spit it i mean people know that's a sham right i don't know he's i'm not i don't like talking trash about people he's a good guy and he's a smart guy just don't necessarily small follow his picks or i gotta look look into
1: i gotta look into uh to some of those some of that research that's interesting it's not not surprising
0: i i want to reset i know we're going to talk about the infrastructure bill for uh in a little bit but um, I want to talk about people in non-bubble times and people in bubble times. Okay. So I'm reading a new book called How Markets Fail. Uh, it's called The Logic of Economic Calamities. It's by John Cassidy. Yeah, And I actually don't know much I l- about I love it. that book. You read it? Okay. Mm-hmm. So the thing that struck me in the intro is he talks about Adam Smith and the invisible invisible hand, a lot of like economics from the Chicago school. And Dougal's if you want to give a basic history lesson, feel free. But the, the way I'd say it, the thought of the invisible hand is there's a natural balance of supply and demand in rational times that typically sets prices in a way that makes sense. It makes sense for the consumer. It makes sense for the company providing that good. And generally free market economists say all is well um things are good what john cassidy talks about is he might back that philosophy in a, a typical rational time i'd call it like a i don't know 2015 i'm just throwing out a, a year um what he says yeah, just is just like a time where nothing's going on yeah like you know it's that's kind of a natural balance of things but he makes his clear distinction for rational I- irrationality that happens in bubble times. And it's just a, a interesting concept. So he says in bubble times, and let's talk about Dogecoin as a bubble. I don't think that offends anyone. And I'm I'm not really, I don't care about Dogecoin. I'm just talking about bubbles. We can talk about tulips or anything else. He says the rational behavior that's built into the human psyche continues to act rational in a bubble time in a way that turns the larger behavior into irrationality for like, all consumers and so what he means by that is if i am watching dogecoin go from a penny to like 66 cents in i think it was something like four months it's not irrational of me to be like have you seen how many people are getting rich off this thing like i want to get rich think of the impact that that could have on my life so me individually i might Put my life savings into that thing now this is an example i obviously didn't do that and i obviously wouldn't do that but some people have and he argues that they are actually acting rational at that point in time from their personal perspective being caught up in that bubble because they're going everyone else is getting rich i want to get rich too it'd be dumb not for me to get rich but what that does when enough people fall into that trap is you get a general Irrationality happening. And that's basically what creates a bubble. I don't know that I believe this or agree with it, but it really made me think. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think the the thought, I haven't read that book in a little while. Um, so I don't remember the like the exact detail of of what he laid out, but I think if you if you take the the approach that generally people would operate in their best interest and the definition of rationality is doing what's in my apparent best interest yeah. and then say, but if everyone operates in their best interest, then that's not in the best interest of the the whole or something like that. You know, maybe I can get there. I think just, I always think people are irrational for the most part. That's, that's my take. I think that most, most of the time people are, are not thinking in a holistic manner, which is my definition of rational. I think that it's a, it's a short-term view, not thinking with consequences. I don't know, I don't wanna okay. be negative on society. I just, I just like generally think that that's how people are.
0: No, so I love this because I think maybe all that's happening here is a, it's a nuanced definition of what is rational. And what he had me thinking about is when he talks about rational irrationality, you could be rational for that five minute stretch or that like two hour stretch, or that like decade or lifetime long stretch. And I think society defines rationality as like rationality over a longer period of time. And I think that's probably the right definition, but I'd never thought about a rational decision with a time frame assigned to it. Mm, yeah, and if you do that, what's rational, the definition of what's rational changes.
1: Yeah, that is, that is pretty fascinating. I wanna go back and read that book. I, I remember just really liking that, that book a
0: lot. Yeah, I think it's solid. Um while we're doing book review stuff, I read uh two other books this week that I would recommend. One is called Just Mercy, uh refer- referring to like true like justice in terms of mercy about an appellate attorney in based in Alabama. I think his name is Brian Samuelson uh crushing really really tough read about racial inequities in the south with our prison system and the death penalty and everything else um but but i would encourage people to check it out if it's all at all of interest to you i think it's really good background knowledge so i wanted to mention that and then i read a book called exercised by a harvard uh professor uh, that I would also recommend if if you're into that sort of thing, just breaks down kind of Is that like the exorcist? Or <laughs> no, it's it's about the myths uh, relating to the exercise in uh Western civilization and what's actually true and what's not. And so he he studies a lot of um what's the right terms? Basically tribes where technology and almost farming haven't taken over the lifestyle yet and compares their lifestyle to the modern western culture and breaks down some myths about when exercise is good and when it's bad and how much you should actually need so side topics yeah, there but knowledge decent books um if you're into that th- sort of thing Drop in knowledge love it Sh- should we talk infrastructure uh sure thing
1: dive into the fishbowl for that actually can i dive in for maybe I'll, I'll say this is just the um what's going on in the the house of representatives type of fishbowl situation and yeah. throw two things in there with one is infrastructure. So we, we discussed before Biden's potential infrastructure bill, the proposal that he had, and it seems like there's the latest progress here is that he and 10 other people, this this makes me think about Hamilton, right? They stepped into a room <laughs> and uh, which, which um, something almost happened, but there's like a, a handshake-ish agreement, at least to start off some conversations and what they've agreed upon so far is just around physical infrastructure. And so this is, this is talking about uh, bridges, roads, right, yeah. electric grid, that kind of stuff. And Biden stated, if this is all that comes out, my pen is staying on the ground. That's basically what he said. He said it in very forceful Delawarean terms, but that's basically what he said. Uh, what the the amounts here are lower than what he stated before, but it's about a trillion dollars. So nine hundred and seventy three billion dollars um if it goes over five years, but there's an option for it to continue over eight, which would be one point two, so about a yeah. trillion bucks. so he's he's got three million, oh, sorry, three trillion more he needs to find forgot to spend. but but that's it. What this did, though, from an investment standpoint this week, is the things that were uh, that were cranking down in the market that were taking a little bit of a dive, one of them was commodities. And this week it rebounded basically like came back up because of commodities uh, stocks like Caterpillar like building things so irrational rational you know you decide yeah. but that's basically uh that's what happened
0: how it impacted the markets this week I mean I don't who cares about the short term who cares about what commodities did this week irrational but, and and who cares about politics but this is this is, there's so many fascinating like psychological elements to what's happening here so one is I got really excited we got a bipartisan group together they uh, appeared to agree on something i didn't even think that was possible anymore it and is. i love people from different like backgrounds and methodologies working together so i was like over the moon i was like bipartisanship might actually not be dead i was so excited speaking of bipartisanness there are folks that are trying
1: to figure out what to do with big tech and i think this is interesting from an from an investment standpoint i take this as interesting because the S and P 500 is fairly concentrated, and it's concentrated by big tech. I, I don't remember the numbers right now, but yeah. something like these top, you know, five or so firms are about 25% of the index, roughly 20-25%. It's pretty like it's fairly concentrated. These yep. big firms, examples are Amazon, Google slash Alphabet, right? That's what we're talking about, Facebook. Yep. And so, what happened this week? is that there were six bills that were put forth by the House Judiciary Committee. They they voted on them and they passed. This isn't the House overall, but it's just a group of like 50-ish people. Um, and so there were six bills and they they covered a range of topics. So things like um, saying that big tech companies can't favor their own products, right? Um, they can't cross sell their own products. Uh, it raised um, money for the uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, um, in order to be able to go after big tech, there are things like that. The other thing is uh, that I thought was interesting was there was one that said the largest platforms, so these big tech companies, they have they have to make it easier for their users to transport their data to other platforms and maybe even communicate with other users. I mean, so there are Ooh, things okay. that are just going to the heart of what of what these companies do. Um, Apple's claiming that that if these measures end up fully going through and passing that their app store basically wouldn't be able to, to function. And this is a security threat. Um, so it's gonna be interesting. And it reminds me of going back to 2000, right? It's just some some of the nature of the things that are happening and I might be getting a little too stretchy in my analogies, but in 2000, they were going after Microsoft. Right, for antitrust um and that was one of the one of the the factors that is thrown in as to why the bubble burst no one ever really points to you know one thing it just gets to a point of fragility is my my statement and then things start to go down but uh but i think it's interesting
0: okay so i don't know that i'd heard that tied to like the bubble bursting in 2000 is as, as specifically going after microsoft um if you go back to just like we were talking free market economics earlier one of the core principles to the invisible hand actually working is not having monopolies and i do think that some of these companies whether you talk about facebook and american social media apple with dominance over the phone market microsoft is less dominant in operating systems than they used to be right now it's only about 75% of all the operating <laughs> it's pretty, systems still pretty in the dominant world. but yeah. it used to be 90 plus mm-hmm. i think that's worth exploring. I don't know that I like or support all the measures you just mentioned. I did find it interesting. Microsoft's new operating system is coming out and they have integrated their app store with the Android app store. So basically any Android app can run on Microsoft. And that almost seems like it's headed the direction you're talking about here and how there's more ability to collaborate between platforms. Now, Apple wants no part of that because Because they're a closed system and they want to be a closed system and they always have wanted to be a closed system because that controls the user experience in a way that they think makes it better. I think Apple would be, well, more impacted uh, by these rules than Microsoft or Google would be. It's going to be really interesting to follow
1: because of the the level of concentration in the market of these companies. And going back to the point around fragility, it's, it's like another factor, I think, that comes into
0: play. Can we just, can we take a sidebar specifically related to, to fragility? Because what do you think if you were st- simply trying to avoid an anti-fragile event for the U S economy, what do you think is the best way to handle these large companies? Cause I think you, I could see an argument for both sides in terms of, uh, reducing their power and influence or not touching them at all. Yeah. So one, two. To state why I think this is another point of fragility,
1: maybe that's important first, is that we've talked about high valuations, right? inflated valuations right now, and what that means for these companies, many companies, but I'll focus on these companies. There's a big bet, for example, for Apple, and it's to whatever trillion dollar valuation. The bet is that Apple will be able to continue its dominance far into the future. right? That's why P.E. ratios are high for these companies, because you're betting on the future it's all betting on the future. And so the fragility comes from the fact that if that future is based off of them taking whatever their 30% rev share from this closed market uh, app store, and them having dominance there, and you threaten that, then th- that's, that's where the fragility statement comes from. So just to, to make that clear, is that you're taking the future away. And so the valuation gets sliced, and that's a large part of the market. So that's the point of fragility. If I was just thinking about how do you uh, optimize for anti-fragility or stability right now i think you you have to secure the future for them i mean i i think that's the way now you might if you wanted to balance that with how do we also protect competition you probably have i'm just going off the top of my head you probably have to think about how do you um bolster competition other ways versus how do you take down these companies. Maybe you say, a part of your funds have to go toward accelerators for companies that support your ecosystem. I mean, I'm making this up. But I think it's more supporting competition directly, versus saying you can't do the thing that you're doing.
0: What what's the good argument for not having Facebook separate from Instagram and WhatsApp? Like, how, how do the users benefit at this point in the game from having those systems packaged together, so they effectively don't compete against each other? If they're I don't use
1: like facebook or instagram so I, I don't know like specifically but where the benefits would have to come from if there's some kind of like cross-functional synergy that exists like if there's if there's benefit from you posting on instagram and that that photo can also pop up on facebook or you easy if share i don't know like I, I'm, I'm not i don't know about social media specifically i'm not sure i can <laughs> it's more from uh Like i could probably talk more to like the amazon side of things where they benefit or the benefits from apple
0: of like that that makes more sense to me yeah no and there there's a reason i mentioned those specifically because i see economies of scale that comes with amazon and what apple's done with their ecosystem which i think has some positive network effects and even microsoft like microsoft's an interesting one because of the microsoft just became valued more than two trillion dollars yeah crazy major milestone if you look at like apple which did that before them still apple's revenue numbers it's they're less dependent on basically profit from selling the iphone but that's still what 70 ish percent i mean it used to be like 80 or 90 percent it's still the large majority of their revenue microsoft has like a five-legged stool in terms of their revenue figures. um, That's a secure company. Well, yeah, but so when you talk about potentially breaking up some of these tech giants, like that would be an interesting one because Apple, you can't, I don't think, tell them not to sell the iPhone anymore, right? So even if you tried to break up Apple, you still have one conglomerate that manufactures the iPhone that is gonna make, that's gonna be worth like, more than $1.5 trillion. You could theoretically take the other stuff elsewhere, but again, that's core to their operating system. Like that's core to how their devices work. So I don't know how you split up Apple. Is, is there a, this might be too much of a leap. So I might clip the other side of the pool and break
1: my forehead. But if we go back to the beginning uh, of this conversation, we were talking about your favorite color teal. Yeah. Is there an analogy here where we're saying like about capping? You know, because I was mentioning, like, yeah, m- maybe someone can do this, and you could take advantage of this, but cap it at some point. Am I wrong to make a statement there, and not to make a statement on the side of the businesses where you say, actually, it's highly beneficial for you to create these network effects, but, but then you have to cap it. You have to cap the gain somewhere, or, or is it different because they're actually they're investors that benefit, also, or you know, or or consumers that benefit from it
0: so in this hypothetical situation you let's just throw out a number you're saying if your business is worth more than two trillion dollars we're going to break you up in some way that would be like a pseudo government policy uh, yeah, that sounds super... that sounds so ridiculous <laughs> well i know but the problem i have with caps is a uh, hopefully a well-documented problem at this point the true value of your company in the stock market is n- Often disconnected from the true value of your company, so yeah. In that hypothetical conversation, the folks at Microsoft could go, "Yeah, we're just in a bubble right now. Like, we're actually the fair value of our company is one point three trillion dollars, and you're gonna take, you're gonna like break me up. You're gonna make our cloud services division roll off and our Office three sixty five division. I don't know. I don't really. Yeah, you you, you can't another. do that willy nilly.
1: Yeah, I mean it's." That's it's a hard that's a hard problem to solve, of wh- and wh- where's the line of being too anti-competitive? It's a it's a, this is a tough one. I think it's gonna it's gonna be pretty interesting to follow. I think to see what happens with these organizations, uh, and there will be impact on the market. Yeah, there will. I Can I jump, jump to the fishbowl? You. you ready? Oh, you got something?
0: You got you got I a got, quiz? I got something. Okay, roll well um, with it. All right, so I just kind of resist. Credit Swiss came out with their gu- global wealth survey uh oh, yeah. in june and there's uh two things i want to ask you about so the richest continent in the world is north america uh probably not a surprise and the poorest country can, can you guess in the world... which country probably contributes <laughs> the most to that i can't hey don't hate on the canadians all I... right that's true <laughs> all right Continue uh, the poorest continent is africa what is the uh difference in wealth between your average uh, a uh, adult in North America versus your average adult in Africa? I would say it's probably a 50x difference. Very close. So according to the 66 times, the, it, all these numbers are in USD. Uh, wealth per adult in Africa, 7300 bucks. Wealth per adult in uh, North America, which actually seems on the high side to me, uh, it's probably an average, which is why it's skewed, is about $480,000. It's got to be one yeah. other thing I wanted to, to talk to you about is um, dollar millionaires throughout the world. So, if you look at all the millionaires and convert their currency back to US dollars across the world, and you say, Where do these people live? What percentage of dollar millionaires live in the United States versus the rest of the world? How about 25%? 39% of all millionaires wow. live in the U S the next highest percentage. You have a, a guess for which country that might be China killed it. 9% of millionaires live in China, followed by Japan at 7% Germany at 5%, the United Kingdom at 4%. What's tricky about these numbers. It goes down from there. A lot of Europe is represented. It's a lot based on the population of your country and because we divide the european union into all these small countries um i think it's deceiving i think if you looked at europe and the u.s it'd be fairly neck and neck in terms of the number of millionaires i know you uh, you said that a few times but they aren't like it's
1: not a country so
0: Uh, i know it's it's fairly arbitrary it's like if we called if we call texas and california and new york their own countries But but they're ruled by the same overall government and so it is like there's a difference all right, hater,
1: whatever you say. Are we back <laughs> to the fishbowl? Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna pull on that. Uh, because you just said the word Japan, I'm gonna pull on that thread. Okay. Um, so I've been over the past few months, uh, just dipping my toe a little bit into looking into Japan, because it just it's so interesting. Um, and the reason why, from an investing standpoint, the reason why Japan's interesting to me, we've, we've talked about parts of this before, is that you had this, I'll throw some quiz in here, too. But you had this huge bubble, right, that ended in, in 1990. Um, and what do you, quiz part, from the, from the beginning of the 80s, so let's just beginning 1980 until the bubble burst a decade later, what was the increase in the, the Nikkei 225
0: uh, situation, roughly? You know, I know what happened from 1990 to today. You're actually down from well, that's from the top, top why, of the bubble. That's not today. even. You can't.
1: I can't ask you because I know be like, that. Well, I know
0: this. I know this other thing. I've got to go three and a
1: half times. Six x. Six, so x. six x in a decade. Okay, so then to your point, so from the peak to now, what is it? Uh, so this is I think, the I think we're still down like twenty percent. Yep, that's that's very close. So in the last thirty years. Um, it's been, it's down like, I think 17%, something like that. So yeah, roughly 20%, which is crazy. And it's like, it's insane. Now, since, since 2013 ish, it's actually up about three X. And so it started going back yeah. up, but, but we're down from the bubble peak, but anyway, so I've just kind of found it to be interesting. Cause I'm like, are there opportunities in Japan? So I just like, look, I just have fun looking around. I haven't done anything in Japan, but I look there around are some opportunities in Japan. Well now I have my answer. the The answer is yes. <laughs> The very helpful answer is yes, but so this week, I don't know if you saw this, but are you familiar with the amount of cross shareholding or what that is in Japan? Uh, Give me a history lesson there. Oh, I mean, I wasn't gonna give you a history lesson, but I'm happy to actually, I was just gonna define. But so cross shareholding is when a public company owns a part of another public company. It's pretty straightforward. So companies do this all the time, they'll make make investments. But in Japan, it's actually, uh, it's very significant. amount of cross shareholding and so i'll to give like a real brief history lesson because you brought it up just going to define it for the record you got me all giddy because you asked for it so uh world war ii happened right in the 1940s and before world war ii there were these institutions that um that owned i think they were called zaibatsus, something like that that owned um like large conglomerates so this is reformed in some ways But World War II happened. Allied forces came in and said, you got to break all this stuff apart because we believe this is part of the reason why Japan became what it became and got so militant. So they got broken apart. After that, after that occurred, though, um, slowly, basically, um, I think they're now called Kaibutsu's or something like that. But slowly. Um, they started to reform, but in a different way. And so there were some laws that capped, like the, the percent that could be owned by other companies. It was like 5% went to 10% down to 5%. So it's been shifting, but slowly companies have started accumulating, um, shares of other companies. So at this point, uh, stat I saw was 11% of Japan's listed companies have a listed shareholder, owning a slice of more than 30% of their company, right? They could a comparable number in the US is 0.9%. So it's, so you, you have these companies, like basically what's happening, and, I, and I'll, I'll get to why this is important in a second, but basically what's happening is you have, like if you take a US example, I'm, this mm-hmm. is all made up numbers because it's not real, but if you take those companies we talked about, it'd be like if Amazon owned 30% of Apple, who owned 30% of Facebook, yeah. who owned that, right? Um, and so what that's led to, and shareholders are getting all angry about it, is they're saying, this is bringing down our returns. Because you're taking all your cash and you're investing it in other companies, and not giving it back to shareholders and not investing back into your business. And it's also propping up management, because you'll have like Toshiba that owns 30% of this is probably wrong, but 30% of Mitsubishi, I'm just throwing out random figures and like you, you secure management, because you do your backdoor deals with your buddy that runs this company. And so you're never getting voted out or voted off the board. And they're saying like, we need more shakeup and we need to spend cash in better ways. So that's that's kind of what people have said is happening. And then you have, there's so much scandal that's happening with Toshiba right now. Um, folks could go read about that. There was a report that came out a few weeks ago. And so Toshiba is probably gonna be completely overhauled because um, slowly outsiders have started like buying into the company and so now it's more than half owned. Um, so this, this is starting to happen in Japan and people are crying out that it should happen even more. Uh, and it seems like it might start to occur. They basically refer to it as japan uh, japan Inc. kind of breaking apart but i'm fascinated with this because i've wanted to see if there are opportunities in japan and it seems like there might be some kind of opening for it so that's my i mean let me just go
0: on the record and say i thought you said like you wanted to dive into japan i thought we were like planning a trip to tokyo and i gotta like go skiing and see some gardens (laughs) or something and then you talked about like boring world war companies (laughs) owning shares and other companies and some history lesson that's actually fascinating it's really really fascinating what i would have never immediately thought of is like hey i'm the ceo of toshiba And my buddy over here is the CEO of Mitsubishi and we both want to live long and conquer, so I'll just buy 30% of his company. He'll buy 30% of mine and it will be really tough to get the shareholder power to kick us out. That's a very interesting idea and that would stagnate development and growth. So I'll bet you that the. The people that have more time than me, if you do a deep dive into Japan, could really find some potential deals in terms of mispricings because of how complicated the, ownership, the company ownership is. Is there a good article or two we could throw on the Twitter? Or have you read any good books about Japan Inc? Because that is kind of a fascinating thing. I haven't read any books, but yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll grab up a, a couple
1: things that we can throw out there. That won't, they won't all be recent, but I'll, I'll find some stuff. Cause I, I, I think this is really interesting. And so I think something's going to happen over there is that's going to be an unlock. it will be fascinating. All right. Anything else in the fishbowl? The survey from LendingTree. So it, this is, uh, this is the most American thing I think I can think of the first couple facts that come out of this. So one of the questions they surveyed roughly 2000 people and about half of those said they were investors today. And the other half said that they weren't of these people there was a question that's: What's the
0: best way to spend an extra ten thousand dollars, right? And wait you the, you need to answer that question before you tell me what the survey did. Dogecoin, bro. So first of all, I just want to say that's a stupid question. What's the best way to spend ten thousand yeah. dollars? You but go look, to look, any look, store and buy things. <laughs> Money is to buy goods <laughs> and services. So like do they mean invest when they say spend or like what
1: Well that that's what they if you have ten thousand dollars, like what is uh, okay. w- what should be the use of funds, basically? And so the answer to this question, the number one answer to this question was payoff debt. Right. Forty-four percent of people came back and said payoff debt. All right. The other, the other responses were um, split it between investing and payoff debt. 15% said just invest it. So what's yeah. so American about this is not that answer. What's so American is a combination of that answer, and then there's the question of, have you taken on debt to invest?" And 60 percent of people said yes. So, <laughs> so they basically say, wait, if wait, I get wait, 10- wait, that's <laughs> nonsensical, like that. <laughs> <laughs> if I get 10,000 dollars, what should I do? I'm going to pay off debt. What I actually did do is I took out debt to invest. And they broke this out by uh, generationally. So 80% of people said that of Gen Z, sorry, said they have taken on debt to invest. 60% of millennials said they have. And then so it just gets lower and lower. Gen X, wait, wait, wait. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I know I'm all over the place today. Isn't Gen Z like, aren't you like younger than 22 right now or something? What is Gen Z? Like, Um, I think Gen Z. I mean, it looks like you're born mid-90s to early 2010s. So if, I guess if you're born in 95... Okay, that's a little older than I thought. So still, that's pretty young to be taken on debt to invest would be my well, they're point. Not, they're not scared of it.
1: And then... So, so then you get um, baby boomers is the last category, and it was 9%. So it just gets... The older you are, the less likely you are to have taken on debt to invest. Not... It's it's the 80% is the crazy number, I think, for yeah. Gen Z. That's the crazy one. The types of debt are number one is personal loans, 38%. Then there's borrowing from friends or family. 14% said they went into credit card debt. Now, here, here's a kicker. How consumers invested the money they took on debt for? What percent of people that took out debt to invest did it for their retirement?
0: I I mean these results are nonsensical. I don't 10%. Who knows? 37%. This is. Can we get some of these people of, on the we, podcast we need, so I can we yell? We financial at them? education, like everywhere. This is this is crazy. Okay, let's just hit on a couple of those facts. Our listeners are way too smart to get caught up in any of this. But a typical interest rate on a credit card is like twenty two percent. The best investors in the world are lucky to make twenty two percent yearly returns taking out debt from a credit card to invest is the worst idea I could possibly think of. I can't disagree with that. Okay, And and it's, it's
1: part of the, it's part of the, uh, you know, the danger that we've talked about before when you're looking at, no, I bought Tesla and it went by seven X, like seven X is the average annual return. And so of course I'm going to take out that couple that disappeared, that came out with that video about how you buy stocks on the way up and the way down. <laughs> yeah, and then we never, they're, heard they're not yet. around anymore. <laughs> yeah. This is craziness. I just wanted to share some of those facts that I thought was interesting. We're in love with, as you mentioned, as a federal government, in love with debt. Yeah. And as individuals, we're in love with debt right now. These interest rates, man. Whoo, Nelly. i tell you what. Well, so
0: here's the thing with those survey results. Uh, give it a little more thought. Here's here's I think it tells a rational story because it, what it says, it, You this was your second question rather than your first question, but... The second question says people are willing to take on debt to so-called invest uh, very poor idea. But then the first question is phrased as to if I give you $10,000 right now, what would you do with it? It's that same group of people that already made the poor decision of taking on debt to invest that are then going, oh, I have a bunch of debt that I need to pay off. I think that's the only so-called rational explanation for why those answers are so different is that. After you do that, you regret it and you don't have an easy way to pay back that debt. So you think about a new windfall of cash, basically correcting your previous mistake. Along those lines, of those
1: who took on debt to invest, 63% said they regret it. There we go. But would they do it again?
0: <laughs> what? 45% of consumers said they would. Be...
1: <laughs> yeah. So. So 61% would do it again, and 33% would consider it.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. 63% said they regret it, and then 61% said they'd do it again? Yes. <laughs> Those two things don't go together, typically. Oh, America. I told you man, this, this is, is why so the American. rest of the world is baffled by you. So American. Sweet. Shout out to Donald Kent on Twitter. Calling us out for our underfollowed Twitter account, which uh, we're going to hire. I keep saying we need to hire an undergraduate w- intern, Dougals. So um, Maybe graduate. Maybe, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hey, have you seen the budget over here? Go uh, big right. and go home. Gra- graduate intern. Twitter is at SkippyDougals. Give us a follow there. SkippyDougals at Gmail for other listener mail. And uh, we out, right? Love it. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>